Hi everyone, today I'm chatting with Jordi, a lifestyle business entrepreneur who managed to build a remote base technical team and then goes around finding problems and building uh, or using software to solve those problems. He then gets his remote team to build those software solutions and then he does the marketing and the sales. We chat a bit about what a lifestyle business is, how he got started building SaaS solutions and how he manages a virtual team. A very interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta and Matthias. I am here with Jordi. Jordi, thanks for joining me today. Araminta, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So Jordi, uh, today we're going to talk a bit about lifestyle business and how to build one, what it is really, uh, and how to, you know, kind of design your life around making money the way you want too. But before we dive into today's topic, could you kind of tell us a bit who you are and what it is that you do? Yes, um, I am an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm originally from Bermuda and uh, I have not, but I have not lived in Bermuda probably for about 11 years before I was living in Mexico. And I moved to Switzerland where I currently am living now for about four years. So um, obviously all designed around lifestyle of my business. So I started the business in Bermuda. I moved to the west coast of Mexico to basically surf and learn Spanish. And then I moved to Switzerland to uh, not to learn to ski because I grew up skiing, but uh, or knew how to ski from university days. And my business is, um, I have a dot, uh, like a software development agency and a software as a service business. So I use my team to help me build the software as a service. And then I bill out to clients to help sort of use some of the profits to bring it over into the software as a service. Great. Um, and we're, that's what we're really going to talk about today. Uh, and would you mind kind of telling us really, what does a lifestyle business exactly mean? I think I sometimes feel like it's a bit of a buzzword. So kind of explain if you don't mind what kind of, yeah, what, what does that mean to you really, or in general? Sure. Well, okay. So, I mean, just, I'll just, the easiest way to describe it is to just sort of give you like a, a, like a usual day for me. So I wake up, uh, basically whenever I want, uh, I do have two, um, two boys. So I usually wake up and get them ready for school. And then afterwards, um, depending, you know, if I want to work on one subject, one topic, I start working on that. And if there's snow outside, um, maybe I won't work and I'll go ski, uh, you know, if there's powder or something and I'll start at one um, or if there's nothing going on and it's raining, I'll work, you know, sort of uh, maybe 10 hours. So it's really, it really does work is secondary to what's going on outside for me. Um, and, and it's basically here. So if I need to go to take my boys to school or something's going on, absolutely no one can stop me from doing that. Um, and in the summers for three months, we travel uh, and spend like a month, say, on the coast of France. And my wife and I might go down to Egypt and kiteboard. We might go sailing in Greece, but I can work that whole time if I needed to. So 
for the most part, I wake up and go surfing uh, in the morning in the summer, and then um, and then like in Switzerland, in, in oh, sorry, in France, like Hoscor, okay, uh, you know, Biarritz in Hoscor. And so, if I wanted to do that, I would surf and say until noon, and the wind wind picks up, and then I go back and I do a couple of sales calls and you know whatever's going on. So that to me is exactly what a lifestyle business is. Okay, that's interesting. So you're really putting your hobbies ahead of your work. Um, and it actually sounds a lot like what FI is. So this podcast is about financial dependence. It's about saving up enough money so you can retire early and then do whatever you want, really. And it, you're, yeah, you're making it sound like it's pretty much that. You've kind of retired early. Would you agree with that? I, I wouldn't say that I've retired early, but I've, I've designed my work so that... I, first of all, I enjoy work. So let's say like for COVID... Um, you know, nobody's really going outside. It's been three months or something like that. It's been a, it's been totally fine and I've been really productive. So I'm really into work, but I'm also, um, I'm also like designing the, the business around so that like I could, if I wanted, could work until I was 75, but maybe I only needed to work like two hours a day. Um, you know, sort of just, if, you know, whatever at that, if I'm later on in life, maybe I'm just sort of constructing deals and, or, you know, having a board meeting with my staff or something like that, you know, that's sort of the way of, uh, that I look at it. So it's, um, and I think really it should be something that is, um, you can do from anywhere, you can pack up, you can leave at, at a moment's notice and continue working. And so, you know, COVID has had zero imp impact on me. Um, you can pivot at any time. Um, so I think that's what a lifestyle business means, at least to me. Uh, okay, I understand. So it's it's really designing your life and your work as you as you want it to. Really. That's right. I think that, that makes sense. Yeah. Would you say, um, well, I guess my first question is, why did you decide to go through this lifestyle business route? What, does, what you know, made you decide to do this? So originally I went to university uh, for for forestry, like forest, I actually went to um, got my master's degree in in Aberdeen, not far from you. And and from there, I, I during my master's, uh, I was kind of like you know doing some research, you know, and I was like, well, so I was like, wait a second, this is um, this is interesting. At the at the time, I was also doing some investing and um, learning about uh, software um, for the for my master's. I had to do you know, some sort of um, rudimentary uh, programming. And and I was like, uh, you know, even if I got to the top of the chain at, in forestry, I would probably be only making 75, 80,000 pounds or something. Uh, and if I was investing or if I was building software or something, you know, I could be outside, which is what I really want to do. And, and I would be in an office if I was doing the forestry, getting, you know, at the top of, uh, of the sort of my game there and making 85,000 or something. And, you know, there's no real limit on, um, if I was an investor, uh, an owner of a business or, um, you know, there was no real ceiling on that and I could be outside as much as I wanted. And so it was at that time, basically during the time that I was getting my master's that I decided that I wasn't going to go and to to forestry so it's sort of ironic uh, that while i was studying that i came to that realization and I, I pivoted and i said what i need a job where i can work anywhere i can live anywhere in the world you know it's not like so specialized that i you know i have to go and and you know like like uh i have a 
a cousin that's doing space engineering. And I'm like, well, it's, you know, I mean, it's very limited where he can work. There's like three companies that are doing that. And, you know, it's, you have to be either, you know, there's like maybe five cities in the world where you can do that job. And it, to me that it sounded like a, a bad course, but, you know, obviously he's very interested in it. So obviously you'd say that this, this isn't really for everyone. It's for someone who specifically wants to be able to be flexible. Is that, would you agree with that? I think so. I mean, it, it, and it depends, you know, when, when I, I, th I would imagine that most people want freedom, right? So, so um, for me, freedom meant just like being able to be outside. I'm very active. So like I, I have two hours a day where I'm working out. So it's like seven days a week I'm working, you know, going for a run or whatever, you know, um, maybe whatever it is, hike or skiing or um, going to the gym or something. So that is like a priority for me. And so I designed my life around that. But for other people, maybe it's something else. You know, they they just want to have freedom. They They want to have like, a direction over um, the course of the work that they work on. Um, you know, maybe someone's a bit creative and they want to have the, you know, but they're not good enough to be an artist, but they can sort of take on creative projects, you know? So I think that that could be um, in itself a, a lifestyle business that gives them that time to focus on, on the arts, uh, for example, you know? So I think, being an entrepreneur for me gives you the ultimate flexibility on the direction that you take your life. Uh, I think that's the, the main, main point. And to what extent do you think that really you have to be a technical person? Because you said it yourself, you're, you're doing an S, uh, software as a service um, business. And a lot of what you do, I'm guessing, is, is very technical. Maybe you know, well, you, you probably do know programming and, and other Actually, IT and stuff. So would you say that you have to be that kind of person in order to build that kind of business? No, you don't. I, you don't. And I'm not technical. And I'm the first to say that. But at first, I thought I wanted to be technical. So when I was when I got out of um, my unit, you know, I, I graduated from Aberdeen and I had a master's in information systems. And so, you know, I, I had the basis I could, you know, kind of um, fake my way into a job. And I studied be becoming an Oracle database administrator. And so I had that. So I did know something, right? So, you know, you can do that um, sort of nights or something. But then it was when I worked, in, I was working in a corporate job in Bermuda and I realized it was like, you know, these guys are really into this and I'm not, I'm not really in, into programming and these guys are always going to be better than me. So why do, why do I want to continue doing something that I'm just going to be mediocre at best? Uh, and I, but the passion wasn't there for me. So it was at that time I started my first business and I was doing it on the side um, and it was selling Bermuda shorts, which was something that I was passionate about. Um, I, I have a um, long history with the island of Bermuda and it was sort of promoting um, Bermuda through these shorts. And it was uh, something that I, it was a lot of fun. And, and what I realized, what I was, what I was pretty good at was sales and sales is easy if you, it's just really talking. It's just being, you know, being nice to people. It's kind of building relationships and, you know, basically doing what you and I are doing. You know, we're just building a relationship. And if we wanted to continue after, uh, you just sort of check in with them. And if there's some kind of common interest between, you know, say, hey, I could help you do that. And, uh, you know, there's no strings attached. And then it's just, 
it just builds on itself and then you trust me and then eventually you buy from me. So, um, and that's what I found that I was good at with sales. So uh, I moved um, away from being technical and I moved into sales and marketing, which I would say is probably my, um, my strength now. And, and so I get people that are technical to, you know, I basically find technical people to work for me and make technical decisions. So I know something about, you know, software and I, you know, I know when we're speaking to like a CTO of a business, I can carry, you know, I can sort of carry a conversation, but if he, if he gets deep into the technical aspect of something, I'd be like, you know, I just have to check with my devs on that. Cause I don't know the answer to that. And they're always fine. That's fine. I see. So it's more about sales and marketing. And I, I always find that really interesting because you don't need to go to university to learn sales and marketing, right? No. Like anyone really yeah. can get into it. Doesn't matter what you're doing. The only thing I'll say is you do have to like it, right? Because yeah, you, know, you can course. also dislike sales and marketing. And maybe yeah. then you'd have to look at a different kind of lifestyle business, right? Maybe you can be a 100% remote programmer, 100% remote writer, 100% remote something else. And you let everyone else do the sales and marketing and you're just you know, an self-employed, but you can still work your day around yeah. what you do. So it's, I, exactly. And what I said, I, you do have to have a skill, right? You can't just like, you know, you, you have to, in order to have a business, you have to have some type of a skill. So, but skills can be learned, you know, even at 17, 18, uh, you could come out of, um, you know, secondary, you know, school and, and say you wanted to get into SEO and, and only because it's a skill that you can learn. You could learn SEO in a year, just by reading and being curious about it. And then you, and then you sort of go out and solicit businesses. You learn a little bit about marketing. If you don't like the sales, you can, you, you can do, um, you know, figure out how to do online, uh, like build some sort of a rudimentary sales funnel where you're not even speaking to the customer and you get a cup, your first couple of sales, and then you hire a support person then who's talking to the customers. But at least in that sort of example, you have a skill. I mean, in life, you need to have some kind of skill. So as long as you have that, you have the basics for starting a business. And so my real skill was, was communications. So I can talk to, um, you know, like a CEO of some U.S. company very comfortably, uh, you know, more as like a peer and sell something that I don't even you know, like, let's say if I was starting a business, I could have maybe like, well, I better have a backup. Like if I was going to sell a software package or, you know, close some type of a deal having to do with software, I can comfortably say, okay, I'll charge you say 50 an hour for that. And then go down and find a team in India and they charge me 20 and, and I just, you know, I've got 30, you know, 30 an hour for my margins. And so from that, I can start building a team. Yeah, I see. And I think that's what I, I also like about being a freelancer. I'm also a freelancer. Well, also, I, you could you could kind of say that someone who is self-employed has their own business, but it's a one one man business, really. But um, my point is that what was nice about being a freelancer or having your own business is that you can really outsource the stuff that you don't like. And that's really cool. Um, yeah. The few things that I still do that I do that I it's not that I don't like them, but I'd rather not do them. And I'm looking for ways to outsource them. I'm, I'm not at that stage yet. But for example, I, I, I write an article, there's three steps. And instead of having to do the planning, the, the writing and the editing myself, I can outsource the planning and the writing and I just do the editing. 
and and then I can sell the final product. And uh, I think that's quite a a good way of, or that's a good perk of having a lifestyle business is that you can that's can right. kind of pick and choose what you like doing. Also with clients, that's what I keep telling people is that as a freelancer, I can pick who I work with. And many people will then say, okay, but how do you know if you like them? And I'm like, I don't. But the good thing is that I can fire them if I don't. That's right. <laughs> Whereas That's if right. you're a, if you're an employee and you're stuck with a mean boss, you're stuck. You can't yeah. fire them. That's right. Uh, so that's something I really enjoy about just working for yourself or, or having a, a business as you as you do. So I'm I'm a bit curious as to how like what kind of was the process uh, between your Bermuda shorts and to your two uh, software uh, and IT businesses that you have now? I mean, I know that's a very long answer, but, you know, summarized or maybe the key points. Uh, of how I process. transitioned. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So so the Bermuda shorts was, was a, a passion-based business, but it was since it was my first real foray into business, I, di- I didn't know that my, I'm not really a financial guy. And the model for that was I basically took out a $250,000 loan like in September and the business would make profit and basically all of the money would go back into purchasing the following year's inventory. So essentially in Bermuda, say I was married at the time, you you, you really need like you know, 100000 to survive in Bermuda. It's an expensive place. And so my, at the time, my full-time job was covering a majority of that. And the the Bermuda Shorts business was basically break-even. And I could see uh, pretty clearly, even though I was growing every year and people were really starting to like it, I could see really the the writing on the wall was that I was not going to be able to really, you know, pay myself a hundred thousand and be able to grow the business. So I basically sold the business and and I did pretty well on it. Um, I probably got two times sales. So it was, it was not like life changing money, but it was, you know, like money that I could, you know, kind of, I could quit my job and start another business. So that's basically what I did. And when I moved to Mexico and I started at that time, it was, I was putting Wi-Fi into hotels. Um, So I had some, obviously that's a complicated business and I had some partners and some investors and, uh, from there is where I got into software. So during that time, I started a software business. We sold the Wi-Fi business, and now I'm in software, which I've basically been in software since 2013. Yeah, software is a quite an easier, I guess, business model to work with because you don't have to be physically anywhere to do software. That's Whereas- right. Yeah, and there's there was there was hard assets with that, you know. So you've got to maintain them. There's Mexico has very um, crazy weather. And so you get a lightning storm that comes and blows out three, um, eight, you know, there's the antennas and you've got to replace them. And that's on you The you know, the hotel, um, our model was that we, we own the equipment and then we would charge like a portion of the revenue, uh, like a do a revenue share with it, whatever the guests bought. So if the internet was bad, we had to make it better. And so it was an expense. And so yeah, that was uh, software is really to me. I've 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 actually grown to love it because it's just such a what. Well, really, I see it as kind of the the most eco friendly business in the world. There's no byproducts. It's just it's basically nothing. You know, you're just selling the idea. You know, it's just and then there's bits of code that's making you know somebody's dream happen. Uh, so and you're helping people and um, you're making some business person's life better and easier and it's really 
pretty um, satisfying to to sell that kind of solution. And it's always needing an upgrade and it's changing. And so it can be quite exciting. And as a non-technical person, how did you go about building an, a software or as, you know, how did you find the technical people who are willing to, you know, work with you to build something like this? So for me, that was the, I mean, definitely I'm not building it. Um, so I would find people that, that, that are good programmers and, I, it's really trial and error, right? So you go, start with a new team and you say, okay, we want to, I want, let's first start by building, say, like my website, you know, and, and see how you do and see how it is working with them there. Uh, and then from there, you would take maybe a, a slightly bigger job um, and, and see how they do. And it's like, are they on time? Do they answer their emails? Are they working, you know, like eight hours a day? Or are they working 15 hours a day? You know, like, you know, are they... Are they available? And so it kind of just grew from there. Um, and it doesn't take that long. You can figure that out in like two months, you know? So if you start with uh, anyone that's listening, I'm just saying you could start your own software company. It could be, oh, con you could be a content writer. Uh, I, I have this great guy that's from Africa. Uh, he charges me like $30 an article and it's, it's really good uh, writing. And uh, then I sell the service, you know, then I can turn around and sell the service where the, the client is dealing with me. Um, and so they expect to, you know, they're, they're paying me for qual a certain quality and I can get margin from that. So it, you know, it's, it, it's actually not nearly as complicated as people think. Well, yes, but you did have to source these, um, programmers from somewhere and you had to put them through a kind of system right to figure out whether they were good or not as you said trial and error so where exactly did you find them were they friends of friends or were they on online job sites we all know software like pro very good programmers and software engineers are are hard to find and they're probably very busy yeah <laughs> right yeah, so yeah exactly how did you source them so these ones were from uh they I think they were from, from my network. So basically somebody said, and that's what I do recommend. It's a lot riskier to go to say somewhere like Upwork and just go off of reviews. Although I have found some, you know, some decent programmers that way. If you do go that way, you should definitely go with the guys that are like in the top 1% because uh, I have found most of the developers on Upwork. The reason that they're there on Upwork is because they're, you know, they're only average. So really good programmers do not need to go to Upwork. So it was through, um, it was through a reference. Uh, the guys were from India and usually I'd had a lot of bad experiences from India, but these guys ended up being really good, which made me open my mind more on, on experimenting with different, um, different parts of the world with different services. I've, heard really good things recently about um, developers in South Africa. So, you know, I'm always experimenting with different teams. And I, I found one guy just by Googling. Uh, yes, like last week, my guys were so busy. I was like, I, I really need this. And they're like, we, we're totally maxed out. So I just reached out to these guys. I said, listen, I got four files. I need you to do this. Uh, can you do this? And they're like, what's your price? It was twelve an hour, which is you know ridiculously cheap, and they're doing a, they're doing a great job. And now I've got another backup. I mean, it's I found these guys just googling, and and I have an, a new team that I found in a week. 
Wow, so yeah, so you get some pretty good prices. I haven't really, yeah, that's quite rare, I guess, cheap and good quality. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you, you, you had your team, and then obviously you had to build the actual kind of product. So what, would you mind telling us a bit what is the product that you're selling or the software that you're selling? Yeah, so, so the, original, um, the original software as a service was a, at the time, as, as, uh, as I was saying, I uh, was servicing Mexican hotels. So I had some clients that I was on a friendly relationship with. And I, I, um, I, I said, well, tell me what some of your biggest problems are. Uh, this is like back in 2013, 2014. And at the time they were saying, oh, for me, it's definitely um, reviews. Uh, you know, like if um, this guy was telling me he had a um, hotel that was on the border uh, of the U.S. border. And he was saying, I've got three hotels there. And, and if I get one review, one or two bad reviews because of something happening on the border that I have no control over, uh, it could cost me as much as like $25,000, uh, you know, in lost business. And I was like, wow, that's, just, that's a serious problem. So I said, how about if I work on fixing this problem for you? And he said, how much would that be worth to you? It's like, oh, I mean, if I'm going to lose $25,000, i will probably pay you like, you know, one to $2,000 just to be able to fix that. So um, that's basically what I did is I asked like maybe six or seven hotels. And I said, are you having problems with reviews? And they're like, absolutely. I said, I want, I have an idea on how to fix this. Will you pay me before, before, uh, I even develop it um, to fix this problem for you. And they were like, absolutely. So I collected like six or $7,000 before I even had the software built. And I um, found the development team and we came up with a problem that basically solved the reviews problem for them. And it was quite simple. It was basically, I was sending out a thank you note to each of their guests that came through and asking them to fill out a short survey and, in the survey was, was two questions is how, like, how was your experience and how likely are you to recommend one through five? And and sure, at this point, this is quite common, you know, we've all seen this, but at that time, nobody was doing it. So, you know, you you just answer that. And based on that, the people that were fours and fives, you, you ask them to uh, leave a good review and the people that were, you know, one to three then three being neutral, um, you sent it to the right to the, you know, the front desk manager or whatever. And he had, you know, we were like, you better call this person because they're about to leave you a negative review. And that was the problem. People are still using it now. That's great. And I think, I think the key thing here is that you only found this problem uh, by exploring from your previous business, I'm guessing, right? That's right. And I do feel that this is something that a lot of us forget. You know, everyone's like, oh yeah, it's so easy to start a business. You know, you just solve a problem. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's actually quite hard to find really good problems to solve um, because you need to know your stuff and you need to know like um, you need to know the niche quite well. Yeah. So me, for example, I'm only getting... I'm only understanding the problems in fintech, so financial technology companies now, now that I've been working in this for like two years, right? Now that I'm in this world for quite a bit of time. Yeah. So I think this is quite important. And that's why it's quite valuable to someone who's maybe been working in a specific niche for a long time. They're much more likely to find a really specific problem than someone that's you know just going to wake up one day and say, okay, I'm going to find a problem to solve. It's actually harder than it sounds, right? You kind of need to... I think you need some to build some expertise before finding a problem. 
Would well, you agree with that? I would. I would. I would definitely agree with that. But I also have found that you, I, the problems where I tried to solve myself because I thought they were a good idea didn't do well. But when I ask my customers, and and you don't even need to have customers. When I say that, I'm saying you you go into a market. Let's say, for example, all right now I'm, I'm about to shift from hotels to music schools. And the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to get on the phone with music teachers, very friendly people, uh, you know, and some I'm trying to find some of the more successful ones. And it'd be like, what's some of the biggest frustrations that you've had over the last six months? And can can you tell me what they are? And so there were, you know, like. Uh, they say, oh, well, I'm, I'm having this problem or having that problem. If it sounds like, you know, it's something that you, you know, oh, my students aren't showing up. It's like, okay, well, maybe I could solve that. Why aren't they showing up? And then you ask them, oh, because, because I, I, you know, I don't have a reminder system or something like that. And then you can kind of say, why don't you have that? And then you can, if you, if you dig deeper into the problem, they end up telling you what their, what their biggest problems are. And usually uh, it's something that I can solve by software. And again, when I say that me, I'm saying that I can go, you know, find a developer to solve this problem. Uh, and and so that's how I've, I mean, now I'm coming across problems that people will pay for in like, like two times a week now. So, and it's, n- they're none of my ideas. Uh, they're always coming from a customer. So, so for example, there, I was talking to a, a guy that's starting a, t- a TikTok agency. Of course, you can imagine TikTok's exploding right now. And some of the big enterprise want to get in on some of the action, uh, you know, because you're getting like 50 million views. Um, they're drooling over that. You can't get anything like that on Facebook now. So this guy's started a TikTok agency. And he's like, there's no way that I can find any kind of TikTok metrics you know, I can't find out who the influencers are, so I can't approach them. I have no tools for this. And so if anyone's listening, I'm telling you, this is a problem right now and people need this to be solved. So I'm not going to do it because I've got, you know, 15 other ideas coming in at me all the time that people are going to pay me for. But this guy was telling me, he was like, listen, I really need this. I'll pay you like 7000 to build this if you build it and then you can turn it into a SaaS and give me free access for life. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. But I know at 7,000, even at 7,000, it's probably going to be break even for me. So it's, it's, you know, it's like a distraction, but for somebody else, you know, this is like, you know, like a, somebody that's 19 and wants to start a, a, a software uh, business. I mean, this is perfect. I would have been drooling over this idea of, you know, when I was just getting started. So uh, these the ideas are out there, but they should not come from you. They should be coming from people that are willing to pay for them. And it's, a, you know, it, it, that's usually what pain is, is people willing to pay for things. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good example. I like it. I think here what you're saying really is the skill of finding the correct problems. And this leads on to my next question is, how do you test whether that problem is really worth, you know, uh, solving. You just said it yourself that it's more of a distraction. That's at one point, at a certain point, maybe one problem is not worth pursuing, but another one is. So, I, and I'm guessing you've been through, well, you know, certain problems that have led to a dead end um, throughout all these uh, SaaS. 
yes. um, solutions that you've built. Yeah. So how can you test? And I know this is there's no one size fits all answer to this. No, but there actually is, and it's okay. a very good, it's a very good question. It's it's actually a really good question. Is you once you have this problem, the only way to know if it's worth a SaaS is it. So let's say let's use our TikTok example, right? So there's these TikTok agencies that must be coming up now because people need help understanding how to you know, dive into this world of teeny boppers and selling to them. So what you do is you would go out and get a VA or you could do it yourself, virtual assistant, and say, find me 200 TikTok agencies. And and so he goes out and he, you know, comes back with a list, takes him two days. And I said, I need first name and I need email address. And so you go out and you send an email to them saying, uh, usually I always use uh, some kind of... Um, you know, sort of general question. Like I, I like to use quick question in, as a subject, or maybe like I have a question for Mark or something like that that gets them to open it. Uh, and so they'll open it. It's like, just curious, I'm thinking about building this software. Uh, is this a problem for you? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, even if it's one line. And so they'll write you back and they'll be like, absolutely, I've been, this is something. And so if you send out 200 emails, even if you got three guys to write you back, you get them on the phone because that's important, right? You need to be on the phone with them just to hear like, how bad is this pain? And basically like the question always comes down to money, right? Because at this point, you're not selling them anything. The answer is, is basically how much would you pay for something like this? And so this guy was telling me right now, I would pay you 300 a month. So to me, you know, all you need is four or five clients and you're at, you know, 1,000, 1,500. And if you're just getting going, that's enough, you know, to, to be interesting, right? You're 1,500, you know, back in the day, I'm sure I could have survived on that. So, and you know, it's a big pain. If somebody comes back and says, eh, that's, you know, I'll pay you 30. That's not that interesting. Somewhere probably bottom line is fifty dollars. So if it if you need um you know if you sell something for fifty and you know then it's not so bad. You need maybe uh, ten people and and you're sort of uh, starting a business and you know you can you, you're it's still definitely a side hustle. But you know if you've got a freelance or a full time job, you can start building from there. So that's the way I've solved some problems and a lot of. Uh, peers of mine have, have started their company that way as well. Yeah, that's, um, that definitely makes sense. And I think here what you're saying too is that what you've managed to do is build a team, like a, a really 100% remote team to build stuff for you. Now, a few questions here. Um, everyone, I think, especially with COVID, we're all realizing that it's not that. It can be quite complicated to communicate effectively uh, when everyone's, you know, remote. So how is how do you communicate with your team? Are you all on a huge Slack channel or do you do like weekly calls? How do you make sure that everyone and you know is connected and, and is organized, is aligned? That's also some serious like <laughs> planning behind there, right? If you've got a big team and you've got like 15 different problems you're solving. Yeah. So how yeah, how do you kind of organize every so, team? So we file, we follow um, what's called the agile methodology, which you can use in any business, which is basically revolves around daily stand-up meetings, uh, which is something that takes maybe 15 minutes. And I don't even do them every day, but, and, and the questions that you ask, you get together with the team and you say, uh, you know, what did you accomplish yesterday? Not what did you do? What did you actually get accomplished? 
and what, what what problems did you come into? Is there anything that's stopping you from moving forward? And how can I help you? Like any questions um, that you can resolve. And if you do that every day, essentially you're you're making sure that progress is being made. For one, you're checking to sure that that you're making sure that nothing's you know being overlooked or, you know, some problem that takes you one, you know, like uh, one minute to explain to them is not going to hold up uh, progress for say a week, you know, and then you, uh, we have on every Friday, we have a management meeting. So I get together with my CTO and the HR person and um, whoever else. uh, And we, we talk about um, what were the issues that came up this week and how do we resolve them? And what's our to-do list? And then we keep, we just use Asana to ma- to manage that and it's free and it's actually not that bad. So it's never really been a problem for us to work remote and I've been doing it for 10 years. So I'm really used to it. So I think Agile, um, it's called Scrum and I'm not really like a, a huge, I'm not really good at it, but even if you just use a basic framework, it's, um, it's, pre- it's pretty f- uh, effective. That's great. I'd love to... I don't know, maybe another day dive deep into that, really, how to set up a virtual kind of system. Because, I mean, you do make it sound like it's easy, but from my own experience, it's not that easy. I think what I struggle with the most is finding the right people who can communicate. Uh, I work with too many people. I mean, not with too many people, but just really disorganized. Um, You know, we've all had our fair share of disorganized coworkers or people above us, you know, maybe a CMO or a boss or whatever, and they're disorganized and you can't do anything about it because that's just who they are. And that drives me personally, that drives me crazy because I am someone who is very organized. So I, I don't, how do you handle people who are just not, it's just who they are. And that's great in their own way, but how do you handle a, a remote worker that's just all over the place? Well, you, just I mean, them. if they are, you you get rid of them, honestly. Okay, you know, <laughs> good. That's good what to know. you do. You just <laughs> if they're a problem and they're not following your, they're gone. So I I yeah. I think I, I can't remember who said this, but it's it's slow to slow to hire and quick to fire. Yeah. Um, so basically, you just like I was saying, you you try people out on baby projects, and then you sort of expand from there. And, and it's, I think I would use the three, um, three strikes you're out rule. And so you warn them, say, Hey, listen, you know, whatever the, if the problem is grave enough, you know, this is your first warning. And then you give them your second, the second warning and, and you'd be upfront. And, um, so one of the, th- and I'm not that organized, but I'm try like, I really try to be, but one of the things we're building is a wiki and I'm really bad at this. So I just hired it out and I had this girl who sounds like she's probably like you and is really organized and um, that's what she's good at. And so I just get on a call with her and I can talk and tell her stuff, which is easy for me to do. And then she just goes out and builds the framework and builds a couple of videos. Uh, and so she basically put the structure for this really nice really, really nice wiki for my company. It's got like, here's what you do if you're in finance and here's what you do if you're in sales and this is operations. And and so some of the, I don't really have an operations department, but the framework is there. It cost me $150, you know, it's like nothing to get this but thing set up. And someone now someone I know like how to do that, <laughs> you know? I know how to do that now. And now yeah. I just go in and it's in Google Docs and I go into Loom and I create a video and that's my now how to. And so all my stuff is laid out as like, so if I hire someone says, here's our wiki, watch the video, just, and they self on board basically. Um, so we've got our vision statement and 
you know, all that stuff is just, you know, and I did that in a, one of our team meetings and we, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not so bad. That's great. Uh, and my, just my last question, uh, out of curiosity is, um, what is your ambition when it comes to all these businesses? Are you, do you want to create like a huge kind of network or do you eventually want to be replaced by someone else and you take a cut and never have to work again? So what is your, what is your end goal if you have one? Yeah. So, so the reason that I'm building the product business, which is what the software as a solution businesses are, is so that I can essentially step away from the business. And as long as it's organically growing or growing, you know, let's say we're adding 30 new users and losing 10 a month, that's growing. So we're net 20 every month. Uh, then I have a COO that runs that. And I can have a COO that runs the agency. And the ultimate vision is is that the agency is doing about 50% of the revenues. And uh, and then we have, say, like 10 SaaS companies that are doing about 50% of the revenue. And I'm just sort of directing um, from, you know, so I have a, a CTO that's managing the agency and a, a chief of operations. It's, you know, like my, you know, my go-to um, lieutenant. And he's basically... Uh, doing, you know, running the executing on my ideas. And I'm not actually that far away from doing that right now. I just need to grow it. So um, I, my plan is sort of five years and, um, you know, sort of should be, you know, if I, let's say every year I'm hoping to buy one software as a service uh, that's, you know, say doing 10,000 a month. So if I have 10 of those, a month, you know, that's roughly a million, but they're growing. And the SaaS is doing, you know, two, two million or something like that. You know, that's enough for me to have some good staff in place and sort of just be directing. I see. So in the end, you would be kind of just receiving a paycheck or, or whatever every month and you you direct from time to time. But essentially, you want someone else to kind of take over and you keep a cut. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, and I I think I'm probably the type of person that always wants to, to have a project going on. Like, I'm not... Someone that's just going to be, you know, I, I don't even know what I would do if I wasn't working. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so, so I have, you know, I have no problem working. I just want to be doing it in, in making sure that I'm doing things that are really interesting to me. So I've, you know, whatever it is. So, but uh, yeah, I, in fact, I'm uh, marketing is a, is a fascinating topic to me. And it's one that you can always study a lifetime on. Things are always changing. So I'm always trying to learn new marketing tactics and yeah i've always told people that um once that kind of happens i'd pursue things like you know maybe a degree in philosophy or uh, <laughs> something yeah. completely different yeah is... exactly i mean you could do that right so you could yeah, you know do the free online mit or cambridge or whatever i think they're all coming out with free courses now so you can get online courses from one of the best universities and it doesn't cost you anything and if you wanted to spend seven hours a day doing that you can Right. Well, uh, Jordi, thank you. I'm just going to, we have uh, three questions here that we ask uh, every guest at the end of every episode and they're nice and quick. Our first question is where can people find you online if they want to get in touch? Um, probably the easiest place is now, believe it or not, Twitter and um, Jordi Wardman, G-E-O-R-D-I-E, uh, W-A-R-D-M-A-N. And, and I don't check it that much, but uh, I check it at least every three days. So that's probably the easy place to get me. Okay, great. And what is one resource not well known that you would recommend to others? It could be a book, a blog, um, podcast. 
but not well known. Uh, I really love the Mixergy po- podcast. Um, I don't the, know if you know that story? one. Mixergy, do you know that Mixergy. one? Mixergy, never heard yeah. of that one. Nope. Oh, yes, yeah, definitely worth. It's a guy named Andrew Warner, and his podcast is brilliant. He's really good at interviewing people. And plus, he, he basically he sort of does the same as you. He, he interviews like founders, and he just asks them, like, how did you get to where you are? And he kind of tries to make a lesson out of each one. And there's, there's probably like, I don't know, maybe 1500 shows. It's, it's great. And you can find any topic that you want to learn on. Okay. Definitely check that out. And our last question is, uh, what is your number one actionable tip for someone to get started with a lifestyle business, I guess? Yep. Yes. So I would really like, if you don't feel like you have a skill, I would really you need to have a skill. So I pick one skill and really start studying it. And you should be curious about it. It should be something that's of interest to you. So let's say, for example, you, you know, like, okay, my son is a, is an artist and I'm about to have him start a, like a little business on Fiverr. So I said, let's uh, start a little account for you and you can go out and start small and just, you know, you under charge you know you get your first five jobs you're not going to make any money it'll be you know it'll be a loss but you get make sure you do a really good job and then you get your reviews and you you know you've essentially launched the business so um you know fiverr is a great place to get started get some reviews and and then you take those people offline and be like you know like hey i can do your website or whatever you know but at least you're in touch with the client now you know so i would say start off by learning a skill that's great advice. Okay, well, uh, Jordi, thank you. It's been great to have you on the podcast. A pleasure. And thank you very much for your time today. Well, it's been a real pleasure for me as well, Araminta. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Five Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.